10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Broadcasting live worldwide. Click, listen, enjoy. Thank you for tuning in to TCN Talk Live Network Radio, America's number one Jewish program. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Always a treat, always a privilege to have Rabbi Chaim Dovey Bell, the Executive Vice President of the Good Israel of America, and we want to wish him a double mazel tov. So first, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you with us again. Zev, it's always a pleasure, and if you're going to wish me a double mazel tov, it'll be a double pleasure. <laughs> exactly. So tell the audience why a double mazel. First of all, a mazel tov, the first one that's most important, that he just became a great-grandfather to a great-grandson. So mazel tov on that. That's the major Thank one. You, and the minor one is you had a major victory in the Supreme Court regarding religious freedom in New York. Yeah, I'm not sure I'll, I'll go along with the idea of it being a minor one, but it's... Uh, <laughs> On its own little, I understand. I understand, but it really is. It really is a major victory, and I think that the entire community should be very um, proud of it. And when I say the entire community, I mean our community, uh, because we were impacted by the executive order issued by the governor that uh, we felt necessary to challenge in court. Uh, and beyond that, I think all across the United States, those who care about religious liberty. Uh, and uh, are concerned about the direction that the country may be going in uh, with, uh, with, with more and more governmental actors taking positions which are contrary to the interests of the religious communities in this country. Uh, I think today's Supreme Court ruling uh, is something that uh, we should all be celebrating. Thank you, tell our audience that is that what started this whole procedure was is what Governor Cuomo had regulations and enacted in New York where religious where houses of worship could have more than ten people, especially in the red zones. And yourself and the Catholic, the Archdiocese of New York, went to court challenging that. It got to the Supreme Court. So tell us exactly what the Supreme Court said. A government in New York, what they can or can't do as far as houses of worship is concerned. Right. The key point in, the, in, in our complaint and in that of the Brooklyn Diocese uh, was the fact that, the, uh, the, that in red zones and in orange zones, there were certain numeric limitations that were imposed on the number of people who could enter a house of worship at any one time. And so in a red zone, that number would be 10, no more than 10 people. In an orange zone, no more than 25 people. Surprisingly absent from any of the uh, of, of these orders was any consideration of the size of the of the facility. So, if you have a small shtibel that can hold uh, 20 people, you know you might be able to justify saying that there should be limitations of 10 or 12 or something. But instead of holding 20 people, if you have a, a large shul that can hold 200 people or 500 people or whatever it may be, why in the world? What conceivable health, health reason would there be to say that you can't have more than 10 people coming into that building? You can I never understood that. It. Right. It, there's no sense. And the Supreme Court itself said it made no sense. And even the dissenting judge, Justice uh, Roberts, who, who wrote the main, Chief Justice Roberts, who, made, who wrote the main dissent, uh, said that 
uh, he, that the restrictions that were offered over here without consideration of the size of the facility do seem a bit restrictive or do seem a bit harsh. Uh, but we don't have to rule whether it's illegal or not, he felt, because the entire issue is not ripe for consideration since right now there is no uh, red or, or uh, orange zone in New York City. But there will be, um, unfortunately. That's what they're talking probably about. Probably there will be, and the, right? And, and that's what the majority responded. The five-justice majority, who ruled in our favor, said that uh, the governor has the sole power and authority to, uh, uh, to put a particular community into the red zone or into, a, uh, or into the orange zone, and he can put them in one day and take them out the next day. So this can, the fact that there's nobody there right now doesn't mean that this is moot by any, by any stretch of the imagination. So the court... Mm-hmm. And so just let me conclude the idea. So the court, when it issued its in, uh, when it issued its ruling last night, um, imposed an injunction against the state from enforcing the numeric limitations of 10 and 25 in red and orange zones. That was the specific ruling. Uh, so it didn't go more generally beyond uh, beyond that specific uh, detail. But it's a very important detail because if uh, if that were to be enforced. And you can't allow more than 10 into a shul when you're in a red zone or 25 when you're in an orange zone. The bottom line is that that would disenfranchise thousands upon thousands of, of, uh, of Jews who want to go to shul, want to go to synagogue uh, for communal services, to daven tefillah b'tzibor. And, of course, the same thing would apply with respect to other, faiths, uh, other faith communities, such as the, the Brooklyn Diocese represented. Uh, and so this was what the this was what the court limited its ruling to. But it's a very even though it's a limited ruling, it is an extremely significant ruling. So what does it mean practically if a red zone or an orange zone is reestablished, which could happen any day now? So mm-hmm. how many people can enter a house of worship? So so in theory, before before last night. Uh, the answer would have been no more than 10 in a red zone and no more than 25 in an orange zone. Now that the court has, in, has issued this injunction, then that numerical limit is no longer uh, relevant at all. And instead, what would be relevant would be a percentage of, uh, of uh, capacity. Of how, in other words, each, each building has a, a number of, a number of uh, people who, are, who, who can fit into the building according to a capacity determined I think by the buildings department or the fire department. I'm not sure uh, who, who, who makes that determination. Uh, and uh, if you are uh, if you are in a red zone, then it would be, I believe, 25% of uh, of capacity. Uh, in a in an orange zone, 33% of capacity. In a yellow zone, 50% of capacity. So it's always tied to the size of the building, and and that makes sense. You know, we understand that if you need social distancing. Uh, then you have to know how large a facility do you have so that you can have people sitting six feet or whatever it is apart from each other. Uh, on the other hand, if, if you're just speaking about strict numeric limitations, then you know the, it, it, that doesn't tie it into the social distancing factor at all. What about outdoor minyanim? Would that be affected by the ruling to us, the capacity of how many people can meet outdoors, let's say in a shul backyard? So, so I have to I have to confess that I don't remember the precise detail of the executive order beyond that the indoor location. I think the executive order does not speak to outdoor locations, but I may be wrong on that. So let me just um, confess my ignorance and let's move on to the next question. Now, would this have been possible without the appointment by the president of Justice Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court? 
one could certainly uh, make an educated guess to that effect. Of course, you know, Justice Ginsburg uh, is no longer uh, alive, and had she been alive and been sitting on the court, we might have predicted how she would have voted, but you never know. You can't be certain. Uh, but without question, Justice Barrett, the, new, the brand new justice who just started uh, her tenure on the Supreme Court a few weeks ago, um, she was uh, amongst the majority, and the vote was five to four. So without her there, it would, it would have been four to four. And if Justice Ginsburg had still been alive, chances are it would have, it would have been five to four in the other direction. So this was a major thing, and there's certainly religious liberties is the way the court seems to be protecting, at least the direction that's going now with the addition of just Amy Comey Barrett, which is a big, big thing. And I know that everybody's excited. It puts to me, to be a person, it didn't really make any sense. If you're in a supermarket and they're limited there, and why can't, why is a shul or a church or a mosque have a different standard? The rule has to be the same. And I think that's what the Supreme Court is basically saying. The Supreme Court has said that. The Supreme Court has taken note of the fact that there are all kinds of places which are open uh, and uh, without without numeric limitations and that are considered essential. And the question that, that we asked the court to consider uh, and which President Trump has spoken about on other occasions is why should, uh, why should prayer, religious, uh, you know, the fundamental religious activity of communal prayer, why should that be anything less than essential? Isn't that, isn't that one of the rights that's guaranteed by the First Amendment to the United States Constitution? The Bill of Rights, we put it right up front over there about the uh, free exercise of religion. We know that this country was founded uh, on the bedrock principle of religious freedom. Uh, so, you know, to, to somehow treat uh, other entities as essential but not houses of worship as essential was something which made no sense to us either. And that was another point that we emphasized strongly in the brief uh, that in the briefs that we submitted to the Supreme Court. And if I, if I may, I'd just like to give a plug to our lawyer, uh, Mr. Avi Sheikh, who's well known for his involvement in uh, many uh, important uh, causes on behalf of the community. Uh, and uh, Avi was tireless and uh, put together our, our our papers together with the assistance of the Beckett Fund, which is a religious liberty law firm based in Washington, D.C. Uh, and um, the, together they put together a really powerful set of legal briefs. Um, you know, I think I'm a little bit of a maven. I used to do these for a living be a lawyer, before I came right? to work with Edgar. Yeah, once upon a time, You're I was still a lawyer. lawyer. <laughs> okay, not I, I just, much. now now I just pretend. You know, <laughs> before I used to practice, now I pretend. So it's a, no, no, it's a always big a practice. So that's the law is always called a practice. Now, yeah. final question though is, how do you think the governor is going to react? The fact that uh, he was really his hands are tied now when it comes to houses of worship. Don't know. He uh, reacted this morning by making two points, basically saying that the issue is moot at the at the current time because there are no red or orange zone um, locations where the where the shuls are located uh, or other houses of worship. Uh, and uh, but the second point was the one that we you made earlier, Zev, that uh, this is the legacy of President Donald Trump uh, and the United States Senate, which rushed through uh, the nomination of uh, Justice Barrett. Uh, and uh, this shows uh, what a terrible thing the Senate did uh, when it, uh, you know, when it didn't allow this to wait until after the election. Uh, that was his reaction today. Frankly, I don't know uh, whether he will take this ruling and, uh, you know, and hunker down and, and find ways to, uh, 
you know, to, to try and, and uh, get around it. Impose right, it's a possibility. But uh, what I really hope, it, and what we really hope, is that uh, you know this will we, will we will now be able somehow to put behind us uh, this this particular uh, issue that divided us, uh, and that we will once again sit down and uh, and work together. Frankly, as we have for many many years, we, you know, we've known Governor Cuomo for a long time. We knew his father for a long time, and uh, the Aguda has always had a. Uh, a very decent relationship with uh, our elected officials, and we try to work with elected officials. You know, by filing a lawsuit in this situation, uh, we were doing like to, to us. This was a a very last resort. Uh, you know, we we don't usually do business that way. Suing the governor, suing we, I, I, in my 37 years working for the Aguda, we once sued Mayor Ed Koch uh, many many moons ago, but I don't recall ever suing. Uh, a government leader from that time uh, when we sued Mayor Koch to now when we're suing Mayor, uh, Governor Cuomo. So this is you know, not our preferred turf. Right. Uh, uh, we like to work behind you, the scenes. But didn't you try reaching out to the governor? He didn't really want to we did, we, negotiate we, on this. We, we obviously did try to uh, uh, have uh, conversations with governors. As a matter of fact, we, we go back to the date that the governor promulgated this executive order which was uh, during Kalamite Sukkis, I think it was October 6th, if I remember correctly, uh, and the governor spoke to a group of uh, Jewish leaders. I was on the phone. My uh, colleague, uh, Shlomo Werdiger, the chairman of the board of a good, uh, of a good of Israel trustees, um, was on the phone as well, and the governor spoke then about 50% of uh, capacity. A few hours later, he got up at the press conference and announced uh, red zones, orange zones, 10, 25, absolute limitations, and so on. So that was perplexing to us because he had told us one thing in the morning and then announced something just Why very different. Why do you suppose that was? Kind of Why do you suppose that, uh, that that happened? Was he trying to trick the Jewish leadership? Would they have a change of heart? Do you have any idea what transpired? I don't, uh, and uh, of course it's always uh, helpful and useful to be Don Lakovskos, uh, I'd like to hope and think that uh, when he spoke to us in the morning, he was not aware that the health department was going to be recommending this uh, new uh, this, uh, these new standards. Uh, and uh, had he known, he would have told us up front. Uh, but be that as any way as it may, whatever his motivation may have been, uh, bottom line is he's our governor, uh, and we're, we're we are part of his uh, constituency in the state. Uh, and uh, we are we are in the middle in the middle of a pandemic, and it's rearing its very dangerous and ugly head again, uh, and we can't deny that. And uh, I think it's important to recognize that, as happy as we are with the court's ruling last night, that ruling does not mean that we are free to do whatever we want, uh, and that uh, the government has no authority to impose any restrictions on us whatsoever. If the government says that we have to socially distance or wear face coverings or avoid large crowds. Then we should respect that, and that's there's nothing against our that it doesn't infringe upon our religious practice. Saying you can't come to shul infringes upon our religious practice, but saying you have to wear a mask or, or you have to keep some distance between yourself and 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 your fellow mispalel or whatever it may be, uh, those are the sorts of things that um, the government has absolute authority to promulgate regulations, uh, and um, and we and frankly we should be very uh, careful about about uh, complying with them. I agree with you 100%. There shouldn't be any large weddings in these shuls, too, despite the Supreme Court ruling, I'm sure. Rabbi Chaim David Zweibel, Executive Vice President of the Good Israel of America. I want to thank you for being here with us. A double mazel tov on this 
Supreme Court victory and also on the birth of a great a great grandson. So thank you. And I miss not being with you. I usually I go to the Aguda Convention, which takes place at this time. It's a virtual convention this year, but hopefully very soon we'll be able to have a large convention where everybody could be able to attend. Amen. You know, we were spoiled earlier this year with, uh, with the amazing spectacle of the Siam Hashas with 90,000 people. And imagine there I had the privilege of standing in front of in front of 90,000 people and saying a few words. And this year, when I, uh, now when I had to prepare and deliver my convention speech, which will be airing on my Tzoy Shabbos, uh, I was speaking in front of a camera person. So the world has changed quite a bit over the last several months, and we have to make adjustments. But this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is asking from us now, uh, to recognize the special challenges that we face now, the Nisiyonos, and to overcome them in, in every, every possible way we can. Yeah, certainly, and this is a great way that at least we can still go to shul and daven. We should daven for the day that this should all be over, but do it socially distanced and wearing a mask, and we have the right amount of people that are allowed into a shul. Thank you to, for the ruling. So, good Shabbos, and thank you for being here with us. It's a pleasure, Zev, and uh, I hope that uh, after, your, after your program is over, the readers, your listeners will tune in to our Good Convention. Uh, and um, uh, I hope we, we will all grow from the experience. Amen. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to TalkLine Communications Network, America's leading Jewish radio and TV network since 1981. This concludes Jewish programming for tonight. For continuous, nonstop Jewish broadcasting, please go right now online to TalkLineCommunications.com. For more information on all of TalkLine's Jewish radio and TV shows, please call 212-769-1925 or email info at TalkLineCommunications.com. TalkLine's new 24-hour day listen line is 712-770-0534. That's 712-770-0534. Listen online or in our listen line 24 hours a day. Enjoy. Thank you for listening.